Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. I'm going to preach a message this morning. Hear it, do it, or lose it. And hopefully I won't offend you with my opening illustration, although it might be some of you have said this to me or to your doctor. But many things that patients have said over the years have tripped me out. I want some of that genetic medication. They mean generic. I'm not losing pounds, but I'm losing inches. And I'm like, I don't quite get that one. But it, it is true. <laughs> Take it from nurse, it's true. Give me some good nerve pills or some good antibiotics. And I'm like, oh, you got me. I was going to give you some bad stuff, man. You got me. You got me. I was going to give you some bad antibiotics. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One of my personal favorites is at a sick visit and they'll say, I don't have time to be sick. And I'm thinking, really? I mean, could you imagine? Hang on, I got my calendar. I'm going to pencil in the flu next Thursday at 2 o'clock. Got that down. Rocky Mountain spotted fever next Sunday morning. Pneumonia next Friday night. I was wanting to go out with my wife, but now I'll take pneumonia. Uh, my personal favorite I got all weekend. Next weekend reserved for the rip-roaring stomach bug with massive vomiting. I mean, nobody pencils in sickness, right? Well, unless, of course, you're a Christian. Far too many Christians pencil in sickness on a monthly, weekly, daily basis. You say, well, how so? We're sick right here in our hearing. The Bible in 2 Timothy 4.3 says that we have itching ears. We just want something pleasing. In 2 Timothy 4, 4, it says we have wandering ears, like an antenna, we, or an antenna we've tuned into the wrong channel. We've got dull of hearing ears in Hebrews 5.11. Sid the sloth ears, as Jimmy talked about last week. We're lazy in our hearing. James 1.21 says we have clogged ears. The word there in the Greek literally means full of wax, full of sin that impedes our hearing. In Luke 8, 16-21, the passage we're going to look at this morning, Jesus called His disciples in and still us today to a good, old-fashioned ear self-examination. He says, once you take some balm of Gilead for them itching ears and tune into the right channel and stop being lazy in your hearing, unclog the wax that would impede you hearing, in short, have ears that truly hear. Respond as we are going to look at by hearing responsively and obeying demonstrably. In Luke 8, 8, he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would come to the great physician and we would allow him to give us a good hearing checkup. And we would repeatedly ask ourselves, how's my hearing? That I wouldn't just ask you, how's your hearing? That I, as your pastor, would ask even, how's my hearing? So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 8. Six short verses, Luke writes, as Jesus saying, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. 
And his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The word of God of the people of God preach in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can hold a copy of your precious word in our hand. Father, we know that it will not return void. And so, Father, we trust in that today that it will go forth and accomplish exactly what you would have it to accomplish in each and every one of our lives, Father. I pray that we will set aside the daily cares of our lives that would clog our ears from hearing what you would have us to hear today. Father, help us to come to you as the great physician for a hearing checkup. And, Father, help us to truly ask, am I hearing what Jesus is saying to me now and every day of my life? We ask your special blessing upon the rest of this service now. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So a little context. You've got to remember, I hope I have said this enough, as Jimmy has gone through and carefully uh, had us to look at who Luke is, who he's writing to, that I have said repeatedly, you have to understand Luke is not chronological. Luke is topical. He did great detail in his uh, looking at Jesus' life and his uh, reporting of that, but here he's going to arrange certain things in certain order for theological sense. And so this is one. These do not take place after the parable of the sower, but before, but Luke puts them here because he's concerned after the parable of the sower that people may come away with one of two misperceptions. So a quick recap of the parable of the sower. Remember, Jesus tells the parable. The sower goes out to sow his seed. It falls on four different uh, paths, or, soul, or four different soils, the path, the rock, the thorns, the good soil. The disciples ask, what does this mean? Look at verse 10 in chapter 8. Jesus answers, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And then he explained the four different souls or four different responses to hearing Jesus' message are the word of God. The path is the hard heart. The rock's the shallow heart. The thorns are the infested heart. The good soul is the fruitful heart that hears, obeys, and then bears. So hears, obeys, and bears. So here's the two misperceptions. First, that Jesus' primary purpose of the parables was to hide the truth. That the truths are only for the elect or the elite. So just speak in church ease. And in fact, they, you could support doing that by saying, well, for one, the parables are an act of judgment, but they're also an act of mercy because the more light you have, the more you are accountable to God. So the less light, the less accountable. So it's actually an act of mercy to withhold some revelation from you. So just withhold the truth. Today, many people still teach that the sole function of the parables is to hide the truth. And so Luke is going to tell the parable of the lamp to show Jesus' message is not to be put under a bed and kept secret, hidden. It must be made manifest. So to respond to Jesus' message, to hear it, to truly hear it, is to hear it responsibly. So second his thing is Jesus' primary concern is just hear the word. I mean, Jesus did say here six times, as long as you hear the word of God, you're golden and good to go. Don't we still have lots of people in churches that act like that today? 
Easy believism. Just believe in Jesus and it really does not matter how you live after that, right? And so we still see that being taught. And so Luke's going to tell the pericope of the true family to show that Jesus' message has got to sink farther than our ears. Y'all remember the kid's song? Head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. And then there's one, march, march, march. Get your body charged. That's what Jesus is saying. It's got to go past your ears and out to your hands and your feet and actually result in you doing something with it. So the parable of the lamp, the pericope of the true family, we're going to look first at the parable of the lamp. So the first point, there's only two today, is to respond to Jesus' message by hearing responsively. And that's verses 16 to 18. Look back, starting at verse 8. Jesus has already made multiple allusions to hearing. Verse 8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then in verse 10, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Look at verse 11. The ones along the, uh, or 12, the ones along the path are those who have heard. 13, when they hear the word. 14, are those who hear. Verse 15, hearing the word. Do you think Jesus is concerned with us hearing the word of God, his message? The million dollar question is, what does it truly mean to hear? Y'all remember I shared with you the illustration before. If you're a parent, you know this illustration well. You've gone, you've told your kid, take out the garbage. And you come back five minutes later and guess what? The garbage has not been taken out. The same kid that you just told take the garbage out that was laying on the couch earlier is still laying on the couch. Y'all are going to get to experience this very soon. They're sitting over there looking all innocent, but today is their last day before they really get to experience this. So, <laughs> he's like, you're describing what I used to do. So you then say, did you hear me when I said take out? Yes, I heard you the first time. Well, if you truly heard me the first time, it would have sunk down past your ears and gone out in your hands and your arms and you would have got up and marched, marched, marched over to the garbage and taken it out. Right? Amen. 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 And the Jesus says to many of us as Christians, when we say, well, Jesus, I heard you the first time, He's saying, you're still laying on the couch. Uh, Brother Charles had uh, told me a joke. He was in the office uh, a week or two ago. He said, you know, uh, when Vicky was asking about what uh, time of the year it is, how do we know when it's uh, fall? He said, deer season. Well, how do you know when it's fall? It's deer season. So he said that a doctor and a lawyer and a pastor went deer hunting. And so they're walking to their stands and they're talking and they've got their guns loaded, which you kind of, kind of, you know, fail hunter safety to get this joke. But anyway, they've got their guns loaded, you know, and they're about to go each to their own stand. And up jumps this big, huge buck and takes off running across the field. They all bring up their guns at one time, boom, shoot, and the big old buck falls over dead in the field. And they go over and they're looking at it and they're arguing. The doctor says, I got it. Lawyer says, I got it. The preacher said, I got it. About that time, the game warden pulls up and he says, fellas, what's going on? And they explain the situation to him. He says, let me get out of the truck. I'll go figure it out. And he goes over, walks to the deer, examines it for a minute or two, and comes back and he says, it's the preacher's. They said, well, how do you know that? He said, because it went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> Far too many Christians have heard, but they're still laying on the couch. The Word of God is not manifest in their life. It's been in one ear and out the other. 
to truly hear it, it has to be manifest, it has to reveal itself, show up in your life. And so look first at the parable that Jesus tells, verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. We get this. It's easy to understand, right? I mean, it's almost comical. I mean, I bet Jesus told it with a smile on his face, and the disciples probably laughed when he told it. Nobody lights a lamp and then covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed. You see, I get this. I live uh, at 134 Bex Lane with the light Nazi. If you go into a room, don't even turn the light on. Forget that you might trip over something and break your neck. You don't even get to turn the light on. And you better go out of the room and turn the light off. You use it or your arm's going to get ripped off, right? If you light a lamp, you better use it. And so what do you do with a light? You put it in the highest spot. Why do we have lights in the ceiling and not on the floor? Because we want it to give the most light, right? And so that's what Jesus is saying. I mean, to otherwise put it under a bed would be the height of foolishness. Think of it this way, this illustration. If you had a 72-inch TV on the wall and you were going to watch the, the Vols, well, that's a bad illustration. <laughs> but you were going to watch the Steelers or somebody who can actually win a ball game, you hung a 72-inch TV on the wall, would you never watch it? It'd be the height of foolishness. What about if you got a 32-gigabyte PC and put it on your desk and you never even turn the thing on. How about if you got the latest treadmill and you put your clothes again, that's a bad illustration, <laughs> put your clothes on it for a coat rack and never used it. What would you do on it? Hopefully run on it. You use those things properly and that's exactly Jesus' point. You take a light and you use it properly. Otherwise, it's craziness. And so the image is clear, but how do we interpret this? What is Jesus or Luke you know, referring to here when he says the light? There's three things that it could be. One is the Christian. And so look at Matthew 5. Turn there. Now all three of these are true, but which one is it that Luke is referring to? So Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Jesus quotes this same thing. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We, now that we are Christians, become sowers. And you just throw the seed everywhere. You become a light bearer. You bear light everywhere. You become, uh, in the words of Lecrae, a billboard and a radio, and you broadcast the truth everywhere as a Christian. That is our responsibility. Second is that it could just be the Word in general. And so it illustrates the fruitfulness of the preached Word. That too is true. I uh, Prayed earlier, Isaiah 55, 11. God's Word will not return void. Amen? And so I've given this illustration, maybe not before, but you have a couple here that have uh, come into the church, joined the church, active in the church, have a child that they are about to have uh, together that whenever they first came, the very first message, I preached on spirit-filled wives. And Danielle posted something on Facebook that was talking about how God forgives and how uh, blessed she felt to be here and God working on her. And I'm thinking, what she posted had nothing to do with Ephesians 5. You know why? Because the Spirit and the Word of God goes out and it doesn't matter what I say, the Spirit and the Word of God uses what it's going to use 
to affect what it wants to affect. It's not ever going to go out void when you preach the Word. It's going to have the effect that it wants. And so, then Jesus said what? So that's why, because it won't return void, you go out and you share the Gospel with the whole creation. And that's why He said in Matthew 9, you don't need big massive buildings and you don't need big massive programs. What you need is the harvest is plentiful. You just need folks to go out into the streets and the highways and the hedges and share the Gospel. But is that what Luke is talking about here? So third is the Christ. If so, then Jesus' teaching, He is the light. We know that's the case in uh, John and that's really Luke's emphasis. If you look back at Luke 1, 78 to 79, it says there, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. And so that's really probably the most contextually unifying is Jesus' message. In other words, you don't, now that you disciples have Jesus' message, you don't take it and hide it underneath a bed. You take it and you put it in the highest place and you shine it forth for the most people to see it. But the fact is that many folks, Sunday after Sunday, year after year, hear Jesus' message and it goes in one ear and it goes right out the other and it makes no difference in their life and it doesn't manifest or show itself in their life. Bishop J.C. Ryle said this, he said, the gospel which we possess was not given us only to be admired, talked of, and professed, but to be practiced. It was not meant merely to reside in our intellect and memories and tongues, but to be seen in our lives. If you remember one Sunday night, I preached a message, how to be a full moon Christian. Full moon that gives out the brightest light. You know what the moon does? It has no light of its own. What does it do? It reflects the S-U-N, so you as a full moon Christian have no light of your own. You reflect the S-O-N. Dr. Barclay said Christianity in its very nature is something which must be seen. The problem that a lot of people have is what? We don't want to be seen as complete weirdos. We don't want to be seen as holy rollers. But the Bible calls us to be what? A peculiar people. I mean, the world is great at persecuting people that are different from them. Amen? What did we do with the only perfect man that has ever been on this planet? We killed him. A man told how he kept hens in his hen house. He said he kept them uh, precisely the same in marking except one. And the one that was different would be pecked to death by the other hens in the hen run. The point is, even in the animal world, to be different is a crime. But we're called to be peculiar people and to shine the light. And Jesus warns, you might fake it, but you're not going to get away with it forever. Look at verse 17. He says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Light not only illumines, but it exposes. I'd heard a story before about Ruth Graham, that there was uh, someone coming to interview uh, Billy and so she must have had some of my wife in her and she cleaned the house from top to bottom. She said, I want this place spick and span, you know, with NBC or whoever's coming to uh, interview. So she cleans the house and they come in and you know what the first thing they did when they set up where they were going to interview him? 
they had these massive lights that they turned on to give more light and to expose. And Ruth Graham said, as I looked around, all I could see was five billion little particles of dust all in the air. The point is that light not only illumines, it exposes. Y'all remember what I've said before? My idea of what it'll be like on Judgment Day? God will have people to come up and they'll be trying to say, well, I was a good person and I did good stuff. And he'll have a little TV with a VCR over there and he'll put it in he'll say, roll that beautiful beam footage. Let's see how good you were. Dr. Sproul, R.C. Sproul, he said this. He said, one brilliant student I taught said to me once that he too wondered how God would reveal the secrets of our heart on the last day. He said he was becoming increasingly amazed at the capacity of the human brain to store data and information. There's not any impression or experience or word ever heard, sighted or perceived, not recorded somewhere in the brain. The brain's like a massive, huge, complex uh, personal computer. And he said this, he said, you know, I kind of envisioned it this way. On the last day, God's not going to bring in witnesses to speak against us. He's simply going to unplug our brains and run them through his own gigantic computer and play back messages whereby our own brains will reveal to us the storage data of our own experience. Every word we've ever spoken, every deed we have done will be confessed by our own brain cells. It will be all a matter of absolute record. And the word says what? Every mouth will be stopped. I'm a good person and I've done good stuff will be out the window. The only thing that will save you on that day is the righteousness of Christ. The only thing that will save you on that day is the faith God granted you to believe in Jesus in the first place. But think of how we act now. We try to act like Ruth Graham and clean it top to bottom. What we don't realize is there's thousands of dust particles everywhere. We try to hide our stuff from three folks. Number one, from ourselves. You know what I see repeatedly in my office from a physical standpoint? Is people will refuse to come to the doctor until it's too late. Well, sir, how long has your stomach been killing you? And you had blood in your stool. Oh, for a couple months I knew it was going to be something bad, so I didn't want to come. I'm thinking, what? But we do that spiritually. We try to hide stuff from ourselves. What does Proverbs 6.27 say? Can a man take fire into his bosom and not be burned? You can't hide it from yourself. Think about we try and hide it from one another. What about David? What did he try and do? He tried to hide his affair with Bathsheba from everybody. And Nathan comes and tells him this cute little parable. And David's angry and he's incensed. He says, that man needs to die. And I don't know if Nathan, you know, I always had this idea that Nathan turned around to him and said, you are the man. Dr. Moore said, because he was confronting the king who could have cut his head off, that he probably was with finger trembling going, you're the man. It's you. There was an architect that offered to build Plato a house in which every room would be hidden from public eye. You know what he said? I'll give you two times the money if you build me a house into every room of which all men's eyes can see. How many of us would want a house in which everybody could see everything we do? And then we try and hide stuff from God, don't we? Nothing's more impossible or stupid. Genesis 16.13 says, Thou art a God of seeing. And your true identity, you can fake it, 
You could fool your wife. You can fool your brother. You can fool your sister. You can fool your parents. But you know what you are not going to fool? God. And you can play around and play church and say that you're a Christian, this and that, but God knows your heart. And one day He will evaluate it. A day of reckoning and judgment's coming. Finally, look at the exhortation He says in verse 18. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So take care how you hear. Remember what we've said before. Love is a what? Action word. You know what here is? A action word. In the Bible, here always means to hear so as to do. You see, here is not that sound comes out of Jesus' mouth after it has gone over Jesus' vocal cords and then it travels through the air and it comes into your auditory canal and then it vibrates your tympanic membrane and then it's transmitted by your malleus, incus, and stapes to your eighth cranial nerve and then just falls off into a massive black hole and that's it. It then results in nerve signals that go down your spinal cord and out to your arms and your legs to do something. Heads, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. Make your body march. That's what Jesus is saying. Think about this. There's a universal law here. He says you have, you'll get more. If you have not, guess what? You'll lose it. That's why it's hear it, do it, or lose it. Think about what happens to a muscle if you don't exercise it. If you don't exercise at all for a year, what's going to happen to your bicep? If you don't use your brain, what's going to happen to your brain? It's not going to work. That's why when people say, well, Doc, I want you know something to try and help guard against dementia. You know what I tell them? Exercise your brain. Memorize Scripture. Do a crossword. Something. And spiritually, if you fail to hear God's Word, you know what eventually will happen? You're going to lose it. You see, there's two aspects. One, he says, one who has more will be given. So if you try to dig and dig and dig and dig into God's Word, you know what God's going to do? He's going to give you more and more and more and more revelation. You are unhappy with where you are as a Christian? You know what the first thing you need to work on? You need to start getting more and more and more revelation and He'll show you more. He's not going to show you more when you're sitting there on the... Uh, couch going, I heard you the first time. There's a joke about a black preacher that he went to preach a sermon at this church. They'd asked him to come down and do like a little mini revival. So he came down to preach a sermon and man, he tore the house down. And after the service, they said, Preacher, that was so good. We want you to come back next Sunday. He said, okay. Came back next Sunday and he preached the exact same sermon. I said, well, that was pretty good, old pastor, you know, blah, blah, blah. Can you come back and preach one more sermon for us? He said, sure, I'll come back next Sunday. So he came back next Sunday and he preached the same sermon again. Now they're angry. We didn't want to hear that same sermon again. Why'd you preach that same sermon again? He said, when you start listening to the first one, I'll go on to the second one. You see, at some point, God says this. He doesn't play around with that. He doesn't just preach the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, over and over. At some point, He starts to take away from you. You see, church can be a very dangerous place. 
David Jeremiah said, if people choose to meditate deeply on his words along with a settled determination to put them into practice, God will open their minds to even more of his truth. But if they listen only to be entertained or find fault, giving only careless attention to it, then even what they think they understand will be taken from them. That's now and in the future. There ain't going to be a second chance, is there? There's no purgatory. There's no praying people out of hell. So church is a very dangerous place for some of y'all. Every time you hear a message and resist it, you know what it makes it easier to do? Resist it the next time. And little by little, God's going to start taking away from you. And then you're going to be like Samson and you're going to wake up and you're going to try and go out in the spirit of the Lord and it's going to be this. He didn't even know that God had taken his spirit away from him. Me. Do you know I'm a dangerous person? While I was putting this message together, I said, you know, it's really why nobody wants to hang out with me. I could sing Garth Brooks' song in a parody. I got no friends in lots of places. Who wants to hang out with a preacher? That ain't very fun. And actually, most conversations are going to then turn back to something spiritual. And I'm going to put folks under condemnation every time I talk about something spiritual. Every time I preach... And so the week in, week out, come in here and let it go in one ear and out the other is very dangerous for you, brother and sister. Alright, next is to respond to Jesus' message by obeying demonstrably. So look here at what Jesus tells us in this, or uh, Luke tells us in this paracope of what Jesus says. Look at the problem, verse 19. Then his, Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. Why? Couldn't they reach him? Well, just physically couldn't get to him. First off, think about this topic of Jesus' mother and brothers. Well, who's Jesus' mother? Is that a trick question? No, it's, it's Mary. Well, who are Jesus' brothers? Is that a trick question? Some would actually say yes. The fact that Jesus had brothers is recorded in all four Gospels. But you know what the Catholic view is? That Mary was a perpetual virgin. So Jesus' brothers were actually Joseph's kids from a previous marriage, but there is no scriptural evidence for that. Second is that the early church view, Jerome, said that they were actually Jesus' cousins. And he based that on a word in Mark 6. But the word there is never used to refer to cousins. That's a whole different Greek word. So the best view is what? These were Jesus' brothers. James, who was the leader of the Jerusalem church. Judas, Joseph, Simon. So that said, why do you think they were coming to Jesus? Scripture doesn't tell us. Luke doesn't really mention. He's not concerned with the motive. He's concerned with the message. But Matthew and Mark tell us they were concerned over the way his ministry was going, how heavy his schedule was, that he was going to wear himself out. Maybe they literally thought he was nuts. I mean, because even in his lifetime, they weren't very sympathetic towards him, were they? So look at the report, verse 20. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Hey, Jesus, your mom, your brothers, they're outside. They want to see you. Look at the response, verse 21. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You notice what Jesus didn't do? He didn't jump up, stop what he was doing, and say, Oh, my mom and, and brothers are outside. Let me go see what they want. In a typical Jesus answer a question with a question, which Amy Darty isn't here to defend herself, but she really loves when Jesus does that. He makes no effort to go inquire what they really want. But he realizes it's a teachable moment. 
I wonder how many of us realize teachable moments that God gives us with our spouse, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, with our kids. And so Matthew 12, 48, he says, Who's my mother and who are my brothers? Is Jesus here saying, well, his earthly family is of no significance or importance? Absolutely not, because what did he do at the cross? He turned to John and said, here's your mother. So when we get saved, it doesn't mean you just cut family ties and responsibilities. Salvation is not a license to ignore your earthly family, even though they make you want to do you know, people elbows on them off the top ring rope. The point is that precedence to God in His family takes place over anything. Precedence to Jesus takes place over everything. My mother cannot understand that my precedence to Jesus takes place over her. Dr. Barclay said this, he said, There is in this passage a great and practical truth. It may very well be that we find ourselves closer to people who are not related to us than our own flesh and blood. The deepest relationship of life is not merely a blood relationship, it's the relationship of mind to mind and heart to heart. You want to know who my brother is? I have a brother. But you want to know who my true brother is? My true brother's sitting right there. My true brother's sitting right there. My true brother's right there. My true brother's right there, right here. These are the people that if I know I have a problem and I need some encouragement, I can come to y'all. I can't go to my family. They're not going to understand, number one, because they lost as a ball in high weeds. And so Jesus isn't saying just throw your family out the door, but He's saying here's my true brothers and sisters, and the true ones are the ones who what? Hear and do it. Look quickly at Luke 11, and we're almost done. If you're a Christian, you want to truly be blessed? As I was looking at this cross-reference, I thought, I ain't ever seen this taught in a children's Sunday school lesson. And probably won't. Don't know if I've ever heard it preached if we get to Luke 11 before Jesus comes back. Look at 27 and 28. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, what? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Dr. Wearsby said in one of his radio series, he warned listeners it's easy to think we're spiritual because we listen to one preacher after another, take notes, mark our Bibles, but never really practice what we learn. He said we're only fooling ourselves. You ever hear somebody say, well, why do I need to go to church? Well, the reason you need to go to church is you need to fellowship with your brothers and sisters and you need to hear the Word of God. Even though it is a dangerous place. One of the great examples of this was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He ran an underground seminary during Nazi Germany. He was a very intelligent man. And yet in his homiletics class, you know what he would do when he would have even the worst student come up and preach? He wouldn't get on his iPhone and he wouldn't go, oh, You know what he would do? He would sit there fully intent while even the poorest preacher in that class was preaching the Word of God and he would listen to it intently. Because every time the Word of God is opened, 
and proclaimed, we ought to be doing that. Because it's not really me speaking to you no way. It's God speaking to you. And you ought to be listening to hear it so as to do it. Final cross-reference. You remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees? I bet this incensed them. They were already mad at Him anyway, but boy, this one really probably sent them into orbit. Matthew 23, Jesus said to the crowds and the disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe what they tell you, but not what they do. They preach, but don't practice. Practice what you preach, amen? Head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes. March, march, march. Get your body charged. Dr. Bart Bolt put it this way. He said, Jesus does not want scribes, but servants. And the way God works things out blows my mind. Because we just had two people get up here. And Kevin admitted he can't carry a tune in a bucket and I can't either. But it don't matter. It don't matter if you can share the gospel perfect. Share it! It don't matter if you can sweep the floor perfect at the church. Sweep it! It don't matter if you like kids or don't like kids. Go keep the nursery. It don't matter if you want to be out here and not be up in the sound booth. Go get on the rotation to do it. It don't matter if it scares the pants off of you to go to Nicaragua or Africa or Honduras or across the street. Jesus has commanded us to do it. He doesn't want scribes sitting around in glory land taking notes, listening to great little messages and having great little messages filled full of notes that we never do anything about. He wants it to come out your ears, down your spinal cord, into your hands and feet and do something and obey Him. But you don't just obey Him because that's what Jesus said. You obey Him because you already know you're sitting with Him in the heavenly places. You're not just as good as alive. You're as good as alive and seated with Jesus, crowned with many crowns, you know, inheriting everything He has inherited. And so because of what He has done for you, because of your position, because of His love for you, then you obey Him because you love Him. You know why I try to turn off the light every third time I'm in a room? Because I know it pleases my wife and I love her. You know why you should try and do what Jesus tells you? Because, well, I just got obeying. No. Because you love Him. And not only that, not just love, but He's living inside of you. So as we close, ask yourself, how's my hearing? Am I really hearing Jesus responsibly and am I obeying demonstrable? Two things to give you to close this up. A little girl said to her mom after Sunday morning at church, she said, Mom, something the pastor said I don't understand. She said, well, what's that? She said, well, the pastor says God is bigger than us and he holds the whole world in his hand. Is that true? Yes. 
She said, well, then he said that God comes to live inside us when we believe in Jesus. Is that true? Yes. She said, well, if God is bigger than us and He lives inside of us, wouldn't He show through? Hmm. You see, in the green letters, the author there, he says, I've always tried to obey Jesus out of love. And at some point, though, that's going to fail. What you obey Him out of is not the love motive, but the life motive. He's living inside of you. And He's bigger than you. And He must show through. He has to. There's no plan B. It's only plan A. Us. To show a lost and dying world Jesus. Amen? And so is He showing up in your life? Second, remember what I said. Hearing is an action word. Has God's Word impressed on you this? There's somebody you have to forgive. I guarantee you there is someone in here today that I'm talking to the choir. They need to forgive somebody. Maybe it's a brother or sister, physically a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe it's a mom, dad, a husband, whatever. If God has commanded you to forgive, then you know what you have to do? Forgive. Many of us in here, God has been telling us, wrapping us in the back of the head, stop doing something wrong. So you know what you need to do? Stop doing something wrong. This one's hard for me, but if God's impressed on you to apologize and say you're wrong, apologize and say you're wrong. See, some of these things I don't struggle with. That one my wife knows I struggle with. Because I like to be right. If God is telling you to go to someone and speak the truth in love, as painful as that may be, you know what you need to do? Speak the truth in love. Or change your giving habits. Share the gospel. I know there's everybody in here. There probably is not. I don't know how many we got in here today. But I guarantee you, every single one of us, God has been rapping on our heart to share the gospel with somebody that we have not shared the gospel with. We need to stop being disobedient and laying on the couch and need to get up and go share the gospel with them. Remember, hear it, do it, or lose it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You so much for Jesus, Father. He is everything. He's the Creator, the Sustainer. Father, He is our very life. Thank You, Father, that He not only gave His life for us. Father, He didn't just go to a grave and stay dead. That Father, He was resurrected and is alive now at Your right hand. And Father, that He has given us the promise that He has come and lived inside of us. Father, help us to be willing to go forth and let Him shine through to a lost and dying world that desperately needs it. Father, I know there's every person in this sanctuary within my hearing, someone, something that they need to do, that they have heard you say, but they have been disobedient to do it. Father, convict us this week to do it. Father, we love you. We thank you for everything you do for us. We pray you would bless this time of invitation now. In the wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So this morning we've had a good old-fashioned ear self-exam and asked, how's my hearing? Now I want you to yield yourself to the great physician for a heart self-exam. Paul called us to that in 2 Corinthians 13.5. 
Here's the Buffy Cook translation. Don't fool yourself. Examine yourself to be sure that you're a Christian, that you're in the faith. So which soul are you? If you are being convicted by the Holy Spirit that you are anything but the good soul, you need to come today and repent and believe. Because there's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved other than Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator between you and God. I shared with the students at FCA this week, y'all have heard me say it before, we're not good people. Throw that out the window. Each of us is lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterous, murderers. That is not going to work good for us on judgment day. But when Jesus died with this hand stretched this way and this hand stretched this way, he became the one mediator between God and man and he brought us back and made it possible for us to have a relationship with him. So if you called on the name of the Lord, because Paul says everybody that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the day is the day of salvation. This morning, as I'm reading over my message for this morning, get a phone call. You know what the phone call is? An ME call. And every time I always think, did that person go to bed? Did they wake up this morning and know that they were going to die today? If you had any doubt in your mind that you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, do not leave out of this room today without knowing Him. Because you ain't guaranteed to make it from here to the restaurant. And you ain't guaranteed to make it from here to your house. And with the way the events are going on in this world, we might all, as soon as the invitation is over, Jesus busts the sky wide open. Amen? Amen. And so if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior today or just something I've said that God's impressing upon you, come today and just deal with that at the altar. Or if you want me to pray with you, I'll do that. Stand as we sing. Page 297. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. seated for the